Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. And I, I, I just replied to him, I'm terribly sorry. I'm so embarrassed. Thank you for being so professional. I'm sorry for wasting your time. And he looked at me, nodded, and then just went, go. <laughs> okay. And jumped back on my bike and pedaled off back in the direction that I come from as fast as possible. Oh, yeah, I imagine as quickly as you humanly could. <laughs> hey, welcome back to Edgelands. Now, in this fourth episode, tracking Ash Bardwaj's expedition from the north tip of Norway right down to the Ukraine along the Russian border, he crosses into Belarus, a country that's known as the last dictatorship in Europe. In this episode, Ash meets a group of young people who are living on the kind of edges of society in this grungy vape bar in a town called Grodno. They show him their rap music, which has a similarity to London grime, and they explain what it means to be part of the subculture in Belarus. Then Ash travels south to Beloveshka Forest, where, out of form for an army man who usually likes to follow the rules, he runs into a bit of trouble. First up, here's Ash having just arrived in the border town of Grodno. So the... The car that I took from right up in the border, near Leopaya, into Grodno, took us through the vast rolling fields that are typical of Belarus. But in this part of the country, they're a lot more hilly, so you get some great vistas. And then you could see the city of Grodno in the distance, sort of lurking on the other side of a valley. And you could see the classic Soviet towers and antennae and those big blocks, the flats that were built during the Soviet Union. But once you get into the centre of Grodno, you can see the Polish history. And it's lovely. You've got these neoclassical buildings, cobbled streets, and the river running through the middle is quite lovely. It's sort of in a gorge, and you can get some great views from the top. And it's all really very modern. It feels like Poland. It doesn't feel like what I imagined of this last bastion of sovietism what do you mean here when you describe belarus as the last bastion of sovietism when people say it's the last bastion of sovietism that's what i've heard by Mm. other people who've been there what has actually happened is they have retained some of the state architecture of the soviet union a lot of state-owned industry and they still have the internal security services still the kgb but 
there are not holes in the pavement. There mm. are not pictures of the Belarusian leader Lukashenko all over the place. There are not slogans to the glory of Belarus. Russia feels Soviet. You know, there's pictures of Putin all over the place, but there's not pictures of Lukashenko all over the place in Belarus, at least not where I saw. There's the sound of a busker on the main pedestrian street in Grodno. About quarter past ten, and it's still really light here. It's a great vibe. It all sounds pretty delightful, Ash. Hugely delightful. You've got these wide, pedestrianised streets, low buildings. The only thing that makes you realise you're not in Paris or Vienna or some other classically European city is that in the town square there's a plinth with a T-34 tank on it. It was used, <laughs> I think, in the attack on Berlin or the defence of Grodno, one of those two. And then I'd been put in touch with somebody in Minsk, but she was originally from Grodno. And I said to her, what should I do whilst I'm in Grodno? And she gave me the name of a bar. So in, uh, in proper Explorer fashion, I typed it into Google and uh, was following it around on Google Maps, trying to locate this bar. And it took me down this um, like a couple of back streets, which had these low red brick buildings. And the buildings on the other side were beautifully stucco plastered and painted pastel colours. And uh, I followed Google Maps up to the address it had given me. And she told me it, it was this great bar that served cocktails. But what I found instead was what looked like, you know, those cheap computer shops where they repair old Macs or old PCs <laughs> yeah, um, with sort of dodgy metal and plastic doors. That's what the front of it looked like. And what furthered that was that there were all the writing on the window was done in one of those chalk ink pens, you know, that you can yeah. write on a chalkboard. Uh, and I looked in, it was completely dark, full of neon lights uh, and uh, I realised by, by looking through and seeing what they were selling that it was a bar and a vape shop. And being the great adventurer that you are, you, of course, went in. Well, you know, Greg, I, I like to put my life on the line and uh, discover challenging and difficult things and places. And uh, the contrast of a vape shop in Grodno was <laughs> certainly one I needed to endeavour. I never expected to be in a bar in Belarus listening to Brian. Oh, is this right? it's, uh, Standard um, type of music what we listen. Really? Yes. The crime is big in, yeah. in Belarus. <laughs> I love this like the least telegraph thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what, what's your name? Alexey. Alexey. So you do music, Alexey? Yeah, but not grime. Not grime. Yeah, I show you one my song. Yeah, uh, and then I can show you one my. Yeah. But uh, old, very so old. You produce this music. Yes, I, I, I think. Right. So what we're listening to here is the guy who you're with. It's his rap song. Is that right? Correct. It's a rap song that he'd made a year or so ago, and um, he was sharing it with me. He'd got a music video of it and everything. Wow, okay, so he's a pro. It's interesting, so he's rapping in Russian. Yes. Is that right? That's interesting because obviously there's another, Belarusian is also a language, right? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I would like to say that I think Russian works quite well as a rap language. Oh, yeah? It's got good flow. Yes. <laughs> 
And is this in the rap? Is it in Russian or Belarusian? Yeah, Russian. Russian. It's Russian. in Russian. We always it's use Russian language. Uh, yeah. Okay. So do do people not use Belarusian? Uh, no, there no. No. So no in villages. In villages. No, right. something like. Uh, Four, five persons uh, right. use Belarusian there. Back to your question. Mm. When Belarus came under the influence of the Soviet Union and Russian Empire in various phases, the indigenous language of that region was Belarusian, which, as I understand it, is similar to the Ukrainian and Polish side of the Slavic languages. As Russia gained more influence and then the Soviet Union, of course, Russian was the lingua franca, Mm-hmm. of the Soviet Union. Then in the cities where people migrated to from the countryside for work, in the cities Russian was spoken, particularly because a lot of the administrators or the a lot of the people working in the top levels of industry or the military, they may have actually been Russian, so they would have come over from Russia, or if they didn't, they had to work in Russian. So that was the language of Belarus. However, those that lived out in the countryside of Belarus, people spoke Belarusian. And it was only in the last few years, with the end of the Soviet Union and Belarus reasserting its own sense of self, that Belarusian has become more important. And in Minsk, this was particularly interesting because I spoke to a few people there. And like many of the countries I went to along my journey, within Belarus, there's this, I guess, this internal debate. Do we go west? towards Europe and the EU? Do we turn east towards the former Soviet Union and Russia? Which way do we want our destiny to go? Do you think there are some parallels between kind of youth culture in London and Belarus? Like, why is it that the same people are drawn to this kind of music across two very different cities? Okay, that's a good question. I think the, if you look at the origin of a lot of counterculture music, it's come from frustration and from being outside of the mainstream. I think grime certainly came from that route. And for these guys in Grodno, As much as I've just mentioned how there's this big debate going on in society, that debate seems to be split largely by age. That seems to be the main defining factor, and it was the same in every country I went to. Older people looked towards the Soviet Union because it was familiar. Mm. And something I heard again and again from the young people is they said, well, old people like the Soviet Union because they were young when it existed and everything's better when you're young. And the young people just want to turn to the West because they see freedom. And they look over the border at Russia and they don't necessarily see a lot of what they like there in modern Russia. And for these young people, they want to move away from the world that they're currently in. I guess there's an aggression and a rhythm to grime music that feels like you are expressing your frustration. And so perhaps that is why it's become so resonant for these guys. Sorry, mate, what's your name? Uh, Vova. Huh? Vova or Brudley. And so what's your name, mate? Igor. Uh, Igor. Ash. Nice to meet you. What did these guys actually look like? I mean, they looked pretty alternative, uh, the blokes. They'd be the kind of people you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't look twice at in Camden. Okay. You know, they, they had shaved sides of their heads. One of them had a, had a mohawk. Uh, one of them had his entire face was just covered in tattoos. Lots of piercings. 
It's that, that alternative look. As you can hear from the conversation, incredibly friendly, incredibly open. So is this the, is this the best bar in Grodno? No, no, no. no. You know, um, I think... But we are happy you visit there. I'm glad I came here. And they were talking about when they go to these places where people are just drinking vodka and going out on the smash, that people want to attack them and fight them because they look different. And they get accused of being gay and that there's a lot of homophobia. As it happened, these, you know, I saw these guys were there with their girlfriends, so they, uh, I, I knew they weren't gay, but they still suffer homophobic persecution. It was remarkable to see how, how politicised these issues are in this part of the world. We don't have good clubs. Uh, we have maybe good music. But we, but we have something like three, two or three normal clubs in the city. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's all. And uh, for the gays in our country, it's bad, uh, bad, 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 bad. Really? Yes. I have so much examples when I go in on center and some people look at me and sometimes, um, hey, Dude, you have tattoo on your face. Are you I say gay? yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are you gay or are you stupid? Are you idiot? Are you gay? It's normal for Belarus. Yeah, really? I don't really know what I expected from Grodno, other than knowing that it was the best preserved town in Belarus. It's got a lot of old buildings. But what I certainly was not expecting was to go into a bar and have a discussion and exchange of ideas on UK grime music and then be introduced and educated on Russian grime music by a Belarusian rapper. It was quite the eye-opening experience. But what it really did, I had this amazing chance to get an insight into youth culture here in Belarus and it's just like youth culture anyway. You've got young lads with tattoos and coloured hair and interest in going out partying and taking all sorts of substances. But then they also told me about uh, the difficulties they face in Belarus of an oppressive government, of a dictator, being afraid of the police. And I've not seen any of that in my time here in Belarus. I'm so excited about seeing the rest of the place now. Little does Ash know that not long after this recording, he'll have a run-in with a Belarusian official himself. From Grodno, Ash travels south, down the border to the Belaveshka forest. is thick lush forest. I'm about 60 kilometers north of the city of Brest and I've come to the Belovishka Pushka National Park. I hope I've said that right and this is right up on the border with Poland and it's basically the last vestige of primeval forest that used to cover all of Europe. So all of Europe was once forested like this before man came and this little tiny pocket of it remains. And apparently there's still even European bison here. So I've come down today to go for a bit of a walk and have a little look around the forest. Are you on your own here? Are there other people around? 
I got there fairly early in the morning, and when I arrived there, there was nobody else about. They were still opening up the cafes. They were still opening up the ticketed entrance to the park. And so I was just on my own. I walked into the park and uh, went to go and buy a coffee. Uh, and that was when I had my first encounter with a Belarusian border guard. So what happened? I'd gone up and asked a lady how I could hire a bike. That was the first thing I asked. And uh, she said, well, you're going to have to come back in a bit because we're not open. And so I went and sat down and bought a coffee. And I sat there. And then I see this guy in uniform walking along very purposefully, uh, pistol on his hip, cap on his head. And he walks up to me and goes, uh, good morning. Uh, so again, excellent English in Belarus. Uh, spoke excellent English, very charming guy named Zachary. He told me that uh, I need a special permit to be in the border zone because this is right up against the Polish border. And he said, oh, if I hadn't stopped you or you hadn't registered properly at the gates, you'd have been detained for up to three days, which I certainly want to avoid. I thought, oh, no, this would have been a disaster because I was supposed to be getting the train to Minsk that evening. Um, and he said, OK, but don't worry. He said, so when did you arrive here? I said, oh, I arrived here about 20 minutes ago. He said, oh, OK. He said, when are you leaving? I said, well, I'm leaving on the two o'clock bus. He said, oh, well, that's fine. If you're only here for a day, then you'll be OK. All I'm going to do is I'm going to come back and I'm going to make sure that you, uh, you get on the two o'clock bus. And I said, OK. And then we sort of got into a bit of a conversation. And I remember some advice from British explorer Leveson Wood, who um, always said it's always handy to carry a packet of cigarettes for border guards. Uh, so whilst he was calling up his boss and um, having a chat with him about whether or not I was going to be okay, whether or not he was going to get any trouble, offered him a cigarette. And he said, oh, are these, are these EU cigarettes? Which I thought was a very odd thing to say. So yeah. I, I, pre- I presume within Belarus they have um, non-EU cigarettes. Yeah. And he, he took it. He said, oh, I don't smoke very often because I'm an athlete, but he had one. And I said, oh, what kind of an athlete are you? He goes, well, I do, I do mixed martial arts, I do boxing, I do wrestling. I saw, again, this was very common in, in this part of the world. A lot, a lot of people do uh, sort of fighting sports. And he said, uh, what about you? I said, well, I did a bit of boxing, but my main sport was rugby. He said, oh, rugby. I play rugby. Again, it was one of those magnificent moments where I thought, here I am in Belarus, in the border zone, stopped by a border guard for not having a permit, and I'm talking to him about <laughs> rugby. <laughs> and then he helped translate for me when I needed to order a bit of food. But I hope uh, the rest of my encounters with the Belarusian border guard are similarly friendly. Or maybe I should just try and avoid any more engagements with the Belarusian border guard. He said, we're very protective of our borders. So obviously you are in this forest because you want to see the beautiful natural glory of it, perhaps see a bison. But was there another reason why you wanted to go to Bialoviadja? Is that how you pronounce it? Well, so uh, you're not the only one that had trouble with the pronunciations, Greg. I mean, actually, one of the reasons why it's confusing is because the park stretches across the Polish and the Belarusian border. So sometimes it's referred to by its Polish name, which is uh, Bialoviadja or Bialoviskaya. And sometimes it's pronounced in the Belarusian, which is... Belovishkaya, and then there's also a Russian name for it. So I apologise to anybody that lives in and around that forest, but even now I find it confusing to get it, get it exactly right because all three names sound a bit similar, yeah. but with subtle differences depending on which language exactly you're pronouncing it in. But the reason why I was fascinated by this place is it's because where the Soviet Union ended. Right. So the Soviet Union technically ended in the middle of a forest on the Belarus-Polish border. Hmm. And that's because it's where 
the Belavesia Accords were signed. And um, up until recently, I thought they were called the Brezhnevo Accords. But again, this is another one of those names that has come from the name of the forest. In 1991, when the Soviet Union ended and broke up into its many republics, the accord, the official signing of the act that broke up the Soviet Union happened in this forest. Mikhail Gorbachev's dreams of holding the Soviet Union together may have received a death blow today. The Union's three Slavic republics announced they are forming a separate Commonwealth of Independent States. And Vizhkili is like a manor house in the middle of the forest. And I just thought to myself, right, I'm going to be there. My entire journey was triggered by wanting to know what happened in these countries at the end of the Soviet Union. What's it like to be there today in the shadows of the Soviet Union? So I couldn't help myself. I had to go and see this place where the Soviet Union ended. The only sound I can hear are birds and the buzzing of insects. And it smells amazing. It just smells of forest. Smell the pines really clearly, but you can smell the grass as well. So to get to Viscally, I had to cycle quite a long way. And when I first hired my bike, a couple of things happened. They gave me a route and said, follow this route. So I went off on my bike and I was the only person I saw. I didn't see anyone else. I saw one, one Russian couple at, near a water fountain, had a chat with them. But otherwise I was completely on my own. I'm just making my way straight down a straight road. A bit out of breath now because I'm trying to maintain a decent pace. I've got 20 minutes. Oh, there's a deer up ahead. Just as I'm cycling the road, a deer just popped up. It stood there looking at me. I'm quite close now and it's not moved yet. Looking straight, ah, it's bolted. There's three or four of them run off into the woods. Actually, I just remembered, I think there's also bears in this forest. And I think wolves. There wasn't any sign about it at the entrance. Then I guess not everyone else goes through a barrier and heads off towards Visculi. Yeah, I'm going to quicken my pace a bit more, I think. Okay, there's another road with barriers across it. So I'm now leaving the area that I shouldn't have been in. The barrier area. Ah, oh, shit, there's a sign up. Up ahead that says no entry. All right, let's see what happens when I get up here. Now I got to a junction, and I knew that you could go straight on on that junction to another part of the park, uh, but Viscally was to the right, so I turned right and started to go down there. Uh, and I got a bit further, and then I got to within maybe half a mile of it, and there was a no entry sign. Then I saw a car with some people that looked like tourists go through the no entry sign, so I thought maybe that'll be okay. In hindsight, this probably wasn't a good idea. And I don't, I'm not recommending this sort of behavior <laughs> to anybody, Greg. Ah, there's some houses. There's a couple of what looks like bunkers, all sort of old Soviet block houses. I think this is where my journey will have to end. I'm not going through any proper fences. I can see the white building hidden between the trees. Wow, that's it. This is where the Soviet Union ended. There's some security cameras, so I'm just gonna 
turn around. There's a bunker. Anyway, so I get to the final stretch, and I'm now excited because I'm thinking, right, I'm going to see the place where the Soviet Union ended. I knew that I was within nearly getting to within sight of the Viscally Dacha or mansion. So it's basically a big country house. I'm approaching it, and then you've got this lovely boulevard of trees, and I can see a gate at the end. And I started thinking to myself, right, I'm in the Belarusian border zone. I've met one of the Belarusian border guards. If I was a Belarusian border guard and I wanted to put my headquarters somewhere, where, oh, oh, oh dear. And I just had this sudden thought in my head. I'm like, I've met one border guard. He told me I need to be out of here by two o'clock. And I think I might be cycling up to the headquarters of the border guards. <laughs> As I, you know, I saw the building, I saw the fence, I saw the security cameras and I was like, oh no. I really hope I'm. I really hope I've not done anything. As these thoughts are happening in my head, a border guard pokes his head out of a guardhouse. There's a white border. Not allowed. Yeah. Spasiba. But he goes, "Oh, so come over here. Come over here." So I went over to him. Sorry. Yes. I saw um, Zachary in um, Belojevesia. Yes. And the guy that I'd met earlier on had been called Zachary, and he had two pips on his chest, which by traditional military identification would be that he would be a lieutenant, so, you know, fairly well qualified. This guy had a, um, a chevron on his chest, which would suggest he was a lance corporal or equivalent. Um, and I know that in Belarus you have to do national service, and the border guard is one of the national service jobs. But if you do it as a professional career, like the guy who I'd met earlier on had been doing, then you move beyond the enlisted ranks and maybe get promoted. And then he goes, wait here. And then he goes to get his boss who has three pips on his chest. So I now know that oh God. I got, I'm meeting someone who's who's uh, sort of going up the ranks a bit, probably a captain. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm like, I think it's, I've been so stupid because I've got two and a half hours to get back for the bus. Okay. And I know that it's taken me about an hour and 15 minutes to cycle to where I am now. So I'm thinking, okay, I've got enough time. But not uh, if you get held or detained at the border post. <laughs> not if I get detained at the border post for a while. And certainly not if I get detained for three days for being in the border zone. Yeah. So the first thing that they ask, which is completely understandable, is where are your documents? And I'm like, ah, oh, no. That's when I remember that my passport is back with the bike, with the bike hire place. <sighs> uh, my passport is in, in park, in hotel. Passport? Um, shall I go? So now I have, I've been detained by the border guards um, whilst I check my documents and I don't have my documents. So what's going through your head at this point? I'm like, first of all, I'm thinking, why was I so stupid? Second of all, I'm thinking, what's going to happen now? Am I going to miss my bus? And then third of all, I thought, what if I get detained for three days and they ask me why I've got recording equipment? I mean, I was not doing anything untoward. I wasn't doing anything naughty. But, but it, doesn't look, it does look a bit suspicious. Yeah, definitely. Did you have the recording kit out when you were talking with them? Well, yeah, because I was narrating my journey along the way. <laughs> my, my document? Okay. Ah, I have photo, document... Um, my document is here. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, 
Надо его с собой носить. Мой паспорт. Хорошо. Находитесь пока здесь. So, of course, I did what I have been taught to do, is I got out a cigarette and gave it to the border guards. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Whilst the younger guy stood outside with me, his boss went in and called a few people, and I gave them the name of the first border guard. I thought, when I see Zachary at two o'clock, he's going to be so disappointed with me. And I thought, now I'm going to have got him into trouble with his boss. Um, yeah. But so, to clarify, so you weren't doing anything illegal. It was just almost like a series of events which was stretching and stretching exactly what you were allowed to be doing. So you're, you are allowed to be in this forest, but you need to have a permit. You didn't have a permit, but you'd had verbal permission from somebody. You had to give your passport as what, like a deposit almost for this bike. Yeah. So it is just this kind of house of cards that builds up to a point where you're holding a microphone and you look like a spy <laughs> who's come in without any permission. So, so the reason why this isn't actually what I discovered later on is this place is not actually the headquarters of the border guards, it is the president of Belarus's country estate. Ah. So I can understand why they were sensitive. It's, ba it's basically the Belarusian equivalent of checkers. Yeah. So th they were very pleasant. They just said, please, you have to wait here whilst we check your story, who you are and what you're doing. In the meantime, I thought, you know, I have just been a bit of, bit silly. Um, what I did was I thought, well, I'm just going to have to be very honest here. So I said, well, I, you know, I'm a traveller. I'm really interested. Oh, translated through Google Translate. Wise. Wise. Um, so I showed them all the photos of everywhere I'd been. I showed them the hero fortress in Brest. Brest is this very important city in the former Soviet Union and in Belarus because it really embodies the resistance against the Nazi attack on the Soviet Union. So I said, to him, oh, look, I was here, showed him a picture, and he's like, oh, Brest, you know, gave me the thumbs up. And then I showed him some other photos from Belarus, showed him where I'd been in Poland. And so, you know, sort of having a nice conversation, they were very friendly, um, you know, having a smile, having a chat. And I explained to them, I'm a, I'm a student of history. I'm fascinated by the Soviet Union, and I wanted to come here because it's where the uh, accords were signed that ended the Soviet Union. And the guy, the, the, the boss, said, look, I understand, but this is a protected area and you're not supposed to be here. Mm. He said, it's okay. We just need to check that you're okay. Tourists not allowed here. So we ended up having this conversation for quite a while and eventually they sort of understood where my passport was. He had to call his boss, who had to call his boss. So now they started to go up the chain quite high. They had to call Zachary down at the entrance to the park. They had to call the bike place to check my passport was there. They, you know, this took about 45 minutes And every minute that it was going on, I thought, oh, this is, this is taking longer than I expected. Mm. Eventually, the boss comes out and he goes, I'm terribly sorry to have detained you so long. Thank you for your patience. Your story has checked out. You may leave. Which I thought was, like, you know, they were so nice. There was none of this imagined thing where you think, former Soviet Union, they're just going to chuck me in prison mm. and be rude to me. None of that. They were really nice. And he, and he was apologetic, and he said, enjoy the rest of your stay. Hmm. And I, I, I just replied to him, I'm terribly sorry. I'm so embarrassed. Thank you for being so professional. I'm sorry for wasting your time. And he looked at me, nodded, and then just went, go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I jumped back on my bike and pedaled off back in the direction that I come from as fast as possible. Oh, yeah, I imagine as quickly as you humanly could. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Don't go hunting for history without asking permission first and checking what the routes and rules are. Uh, so I'm now making best speed back to catch my bus. But I did see 
Well, the Brazier Never Accords were signed. Mission accomplished, even if it was slightly nerve-wracking. I do feel a bit silly for it. Please. No, no, after you. Ah, Zachary, there you are. I thought I was going to miss you. Goodbye, goodbye, you, Kevin. You, you, you managed to send me off. <laughs> are we able to have a photo together or is that not allowed? Uh, I'm sorry. Can we have a photo together or is it not permitted? No, in no, you? no. No, I thought, I thought, I thought, thought I'd check. Good to see you. Thank you so much for today, mate. Bye. Lovely Bye. to meet you. Thank you very much. Good luck. Hi. Pretty brutal that Zachary doesn't allow Ash to have his photo taken with him, but maybe this was just pushing his luck one step too far, considering everything that just happened before. Thank you to Ash Bardwaj for sharing your Edgelands adventures with us. You can listen to the next episode of Edgelands right now if you register for free on telegraph.co.uk forward slash edgelands. On here, you'll also find videos, photos and a written feature from Ash himself, plus information on how you can go and explore this part of the world for yourself on a Telegraph exclusive tour. I've been Greg Dickinson. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you very soon.